0: This episode is brought to you by Abbott. Welcome back to TCT 2018 here from San Diego. I'm Mike Gibson, and I'm talking with Tom Ford, and we're talking about the Cormica trial. I've always been very interested in the microvasculature uh, one of the things that drives me crazy is when someone's troponin positive and there's no obstructive disease, everyone says, oh, another false positive. That's not true. I mean, we have plenty of disease downstream that we don't ever really interrogate. So talk to us about what you did in your study looking at microvascular function and testing it.
1: Sure. Well, as you know, angina is a common syndrome and we tend to focus on what we can see. Uh, but what the angiogram doesn't reveal is, as you mentioned, the small network of myocardial uh, micro vessels vessels. and these are really the dominant drivers of myocardial blood flow so if we can't see it then we can't really diagnose it and in glasgow we're interested in coronary physiology and we used that interest to do a randomized trial which was a pragmatic trial to see if we can improve outcomes in this really common clinical problem angina with no obstructive disease because what we know is that ischemia in patients with no obstructive disease is quite common and the two diseases that we're looking for in that cohort is microvascular angina and vasospastic angina. Mm-hmm. And Mike I guess the other important thing is if you've got entirely normal coronary arteries in, our patients deserve to know that, you know they're seeking our attention to get a definitive diagnosis.
0: They have normal epicardial arteries, but it'd be nice for them to know that, hey, you know, in the small arteries, there's some spasm.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So they, they seek our attention to get a definitive answer. Mm-hmm. So what did you do? So we performed, a, a, as I say, a, a pragmatic trial. We recruited patients, 391 consecutive patients with angina, uh, prior to knowledge of their coronary anatomy and these patients were having a clinically indicated angiogram and we consented them for the Cormica study on the day of their clinical cath. Uh, We asked the physicians what do you think is going on here and what is your treatment plan? And in the cath lab if they had no obstructive disease they were eligible for randomization. So to give you an overall picture of the breakdown about 45% had no obstructive disease. So it's a huge cohort. Mm. Uh, We don't use a lot of CT, maybe it's slightly higher than other centres, but 45% had no obstructive disease, and those patients were eligible for entry into our study. So the randomised trial, we uh, recruited 151 subjects. It's not everyone that had no obstructive disease for logistical reasons could be randomised. So we randomised into one of two groups. The intervention was an invasive physiological procedure where we used uh, coronary physiology, that's coronary flow reserve, uh, the IMR, which is a tool that looks at microcirculatory resistance, and finally we used ACH. And I know you're familiar with ACH, we used that in two ways. Firstly, as a slow infusion to assess for microvascular spasm. That's acetylcholine. Uh, Acetylcholine, that's right. Mm -hmm. And then the final part of that is a bolus of acetylcholine to look for epicardial coronary spasm. Mm -hmm. And the procedure takes about 20 minutes to perform, and the mean procedure time in our study was around 60 minutes, including all the randomization. So I guess similar to single-vessel PCI. Mm -hmm. The control group was really unique. Uh, because they also had the interventional diagnostic procedure, but the results of that were blinded to the physician, the patient. Wow! So okay. we did that through the use of a second cardiologist, uh, and that really served as a sham type of control. Wow! Yeah, just to see whether the treatment effect really did relate or to the disclosure
0: or no effect That's right. Yeah, That's sure right.
1: Um, and the primary outcome was a patient-centered metric, Seattle Angina Summary Score. So patient reported outcomes at six months and we also followed up for major adverse cardiac events importantly we were able to show at six months that the intervention led to a significant improvement in angina Hmm. characterized by the summary score the level of improvement which we used a regression model adjusting for baseline differences level of improvement was 12 units of the summary score which was driven by an improvement in physical limitation and a reduction in angina frequency. So angina frequency reduction was around nine units. These figures, if we're not dealing with SAQ scores in real life, are hard to interpret. But to break it down, it's roughly one CCS class improvement in their angina. So really a meaningful clinical difference in angina score. We also looked at secondary outcomes, including quality of life with the validated EQ5D. And we found that these patients were feeling better
0: at six months in the intervention arm compared to control. Now, you'd call it the intervention arm a diagnostic study done and mm. doctors got the diagnostic data but what was the intervention then how did they change yeah. management so we
1: had a stratified treatment depending on the results of the interventional mm. diagnostic procedure so it is a complex study to get your head around because as you say, it's a diagnostic test but we stratified the diagnoses: microvascular angina vasospastic angina Non-cardiac chest pain. And in each of those diagnoses, we use the ESC uh, 2013 guidelines on the management of those functional coronary disorders to treat the patient. So the
0: microvascular patients, what did they receive? Yeah, so
1: typically beta blockers first line and microvascular angina. We we try to avoid nitrates in that group. Some evidence with overlap syndrome of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, and we know that nitrates are actually detrimental in that group. On the other hand, vasospastic angina, first-line calcium channel blockers, and nitrates we would recommend. And we stop the therapy. Patients don't like taking drugs if they don't need to. And we stop the therapy in the non-cardiac patients.
0: And how about in the control arm? Were yeah. physicians just at liberty to do whatever they wanted? So did they give people beta blockers or the, nitrates on yeah. the control arm? Well, that's
1: exactly one of the interesting points in the study. How do we manage these patients in standard care? And it's very heterogeneous. Right. So we had two centers recruiting in this trial with maybe about 10 different interventional cardiologists. So the management was varied. But importantly, the same written guidelines were given to the physicians. But how do you diagnose Vasospastic angina without doing without these tests doing the study, is hardly yeah. ever done. So yeah. it's, I think it's an
0: important diagnosis to make. Yes. How about harder outcomes, uh, you know, MI, things like that? Any difference there?
1: Yeah, so obviously, small mechanistic study it's important that we looked at that. So there was two MACE events in each group, so 2.6% MACE at six months. So okay. maybe, you know, not insignificant, but no difference between no difference. the groups. Too yeah.
0: underpowered. Yeah. Wow.
1: And importantly, the procedure is safe. So people are saying you've got normal coronary arteries, you certainly don't want to be having adverse events in the cath lab, no procedural adverse events, uh, common, sorry, no procedural serious adverse events, not uncommonly pauses during acetylcholine testing and that always resolves without any specific therapy and at, uh, atrial fibrillation and I think uh, about 5% incidence of atrial fibrillation that was always transient didn't require therapy and resolved to sinus rhythm before discharge.
0: Great. Well, you know how I like the microvascular, a very thoughtful approach. Good to see someone starting to pay attention to it. And uh, thanks for sharing with us today. And thanks to all of you for joining us here live from TCT 2018.